I'm Hal Stewart, BFBS presenter, huge football fan, and I've been getting footballers to talk to the troops with some online events fielding questions from the British Armed Forces and their families. This is the third in our series featuring former footballer turned actor Vinnie Jones. Here's a taste of what's coming up. Teddy Sharon, then I suppose with, with Roy would have had it. You know, we had a good old punch up down at Millwall when Teddy was down there when I was at first at Wimbledon. They're good memories, they're good, you know, you have a laugh, yeah. good punch ups. If you look up in history, we had the lowest amount of points at Christmas and we got out of it. When you've got a caged animal up in a tight spot, you watch out because you're going to get bit. One way or another, you're going to get bit, and they got mm. bit that day badly. We're doing this movie, you know, we've got a little cameo role for you. Smashing the, some bloke's head in the sunbed. <laughs> yeah, I can do that. Once upon a time, on the pitch. It's Hal Stewart here, and I am absolutely delighted that BFBS, alongside our partnership with Tickets for Troops, are once again bringing you some top talent. Hollywood actor, singer, producer, and former professional footballer, Vinnie Jones. Vinnie, welcome. Thanks a lot. Whereabouts in the world are you at the moment? Because I know you like to split your time between the UK and the US of A. Yeah, I'm down in Sussex at the moment. Well, one of the things that I think we should uh, cover straight off the bat is, can you tell me about your armed forces family connections? As many know, your son joined the British Army several years ago. He went straight from school, he was in the cadets, and then wondered what he wanted to do, and uh, he went straight in. So he went up to Harrogate, and he'd done his year up there, and then went in, done his six years. So we got a call one night that he was going to Afghan, and then the next morning he called back and said that they'd pulled it off. I think his regiment or something had got a bit of a had a bit of a bad time out there, and they and they pulled him out. So uh, he was he was gutted about that that he didn't go. That's what they trained for, and he was really gutted that he didn't go. We've spoken before back in 2016 where you shared back then your support for the military. You're doing something like this again. So why is it that you like to do things for the armed forces? Well, I think you know, they protect our shores and, uh, you know, we're sitting there getting on with it and they're, they're out there, uh, you know, protecting everybody, everybody's liberty. It was something I was going to do when we went to Falklands. I went down with a mate of mine. He had a criminal record, unfortunately, so we, they didn't let us in. But, you know, it was very close that I was going to join as well. So uh, then after that, a few years later, I got into the football, back into the football. So, yeah, my granddad obviously was in the army and then, you know, my son went in. But my son's come out now. He's training to be a pilot. But he was in the um, household guards. So he, you know, he loved the tanks and everything. It was quite strange because he used to have uh, flying lessons when he was younger, when he was 12, 13. That, you know, he used to fly out of Elstree and uh, went in the household cavalry. So now he's he's flying, he's going to be a pilot. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, I didn't know that, so thank you for sharing that. And what about, you mentioned that you thought about joining the military, but there must have always been, even if it was just in the back of your mind, this, I want to be a footballer. I mean, was that from the littlest stage you can remember, kicking the ball about Vinny wanting to grow up and be a pro? Yeah, that was always what it was, you know, from the, I think my first pair of boots were a pair of Allen balls, which I got out of the lost property, a pair of white Allen ball. World Cups, they were my first ones. I would have been about six, I think. And I think I scored a hat-trick. I think like 78, something like that, I I got one of the uh, leather World Cup balls. So, yeah, I was I was mad for it. We had a park right next to the house and we used to play, you know, in the streetlights. So that's what I was always destined to do, yeah. Well, you mentioned you scored a hat-trick there. I was going to ask, you know, you became known really as 
a tough tackling, no-nonsense midfielder. I think that did you a bit of a disservice. But were you always a midfielder? Was there a time when a young Vinny played in goal or, or always wanted to be up front? No, I, I used to love playing in goal, but no, I was always midfield. Yeah, I went to, when I first went to Wildstone, uh, non-league, I done a, I was centre-half. Actually, I went to Sweden for a year and uh, played centre-half there. I'm not a player of the year there in Sweden. But I came back and I had a month's trial at Wimbledon and I played centre-half and it didn't go too well. And one of the coaches said, he's not a centre-half, he's, he's a midfield player. So uh, they put me in midfield in a reserve team game against Brentford and I, and I scored two goals in that. Then the following week, they signed me and I played at Nottingham Forest away. Brilliant. I mean, you scored... Some memorable goals. I'm I'm thinking of several goals that I particularly enjoyed. There's that, that one you scored for uh, Wimbledon. I think it was against Arsenal. And you just smash it in. You stand there. One of your teammates slaps you in the face. You looked so happy. There was goals that you scored that an attacking midfielder would have been proud of. And yet, as we've already mentioned, you were, you were known for that kind of no-nonsense, tough tackling role. Do you ever look back on your career and think, I deserve a lot more from my actual footballing ability? Well, I don't look back on it. I, I was saying it at the time. You get labelled by the press and it's that, you know, they, that's what they, they want to write about. I scored a great volley for Chelsea in front of the cop. 25-yard volley. I scored a 35-yard volley at Leeds, top corner. But I was good for about one every 10 games. I should have scored more, actually, but I started becoming more of an anchor than uh, when I first came on the scene. I used to bomb forward. As soon as we got the ball, I used to get in the box. I scored four goals in five games in my when I signed pro. I didn't score against Boris. Then I scored against Man United at home on my debut. And then I, I kind of started being more of an anchor. Gary Hemingway, who served in the British Army for many years, has asked this question, which was, what was the best part of the army training camp that you would have done in pre-season at Sheffield United under Dave Bassett? Yeah, we used to go down there every year and we used to do the running on the dunes on the beach and that. And... Mate, it was, I mean, we were professional athletes and we'd go down there for the full blast and the army boys, we'd get on with it. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a stunt or anything. We actually did it. And the army boys put us through our paces and they loved doing it. They loved it. But we used to stop for lunch and you just think, I can't do any more. Your calf muscles and your, you know, your shin splints and you just, you'd have something to eat. You sort of get on the bed and you lie there and just think, I'm done. But somehow, you know, they came and rallied you up. Come on, boys, we're off and all that. You know, and I spoke to my boy about it because, you know, he had all that in the army and all that. And he said, yeah, you know, they used to get them up and away they used to go. But it was such great satisfaction when you got it done. You know, and you just think, how am I going to get through this week? You know, how am I going to get through this day, let alone the week? Yeah, it was good. You know, it was it was a good, you know, week that that absolutely blew the cobwebs out, you know? Yeah, and of course, a, a tremendous appreciation, I guess, from, from all of you pros for, for what another life looks like. And as you've already mentioned, something you had considered. Adam Wilson says you were famously booked after four seconds with VAR these days. Do you think you'd finish a game nowadays? <laughs> well, it wasn't four seconds. He's exaggerating. It was three. <laughs> and it was quite a bit of a story behind it because it was against Sheffield United. I'd just left Sheffield United a few months before and I was playing for Chelsea. So I knew how to rattle them up on the whistle. I was watching the referee and then when he looks to the two, two goalkeepers and then puts the whistle in his mouth, I'd set off. So I timed it perfect. So as he blew the start of the game up, I was already crossing the line and I smashed into two lads. One of them was Dane Whitehouse, a lad called Dane Whitehouse. And I just buried him. 
try to bury both of them, but it worked. We beat them. Was there a bit of needle? Because I've read your autobiography and, and you know, you sort of, you were quite complimentary about your time at Sheffield United, but there, there was also some times where you perhaps felt like you got man of the match every game and, or at least every other game. And, you know, you were doing a lot of the work to try to drag the team out from a, a poor position at the time. Well, I was getting man of the match in a losing team. That's why Bassett brought me. No, I loved my time at Sheffield United. Good. It was fantastic. I mean... You know, and I think you know, even the Leeds fans kind of forgave me for going there, but I didn't. I didn't kind of go there. I McAllister came to Leeds, and I was kind of left at the door, if you like. And of course, as soon as Bassett came, Bassett was my god. You know, it was everything to me. He gave me my first chance, so I literally remember. You know, jumped in the car and flew down. There weren't going to be no negotiations. I was just going to sign. It was a case of being wanted. You know. What's funny and strange about it all, just how, you know, sliding doors are, we played at Luton and he played three in midfield. He played me, Dave Batty and Gary McAllister in midfield. And we absolutely slaughtered Luton. In 20 minutes, McAllister had three one-on-ones with a keeper and he never scored. If he had scored a couple of them and we have smashed them, three or four nil, maybe it would have all been different. But that turned out to be my last game. But you definitely enjoyed your time at Leeds. Um, Yvette Kemp has said, uh, who's your favourite current Leeds player? We all know Alioski is an absolute berserker. Would he have been a good addition to the world-famous Wimbledon crazy gang? Much love, Kempy. There's two Leeds fans watching at Sandhurst. Yeah, for sure he would have done well. I mean, it's kind of like the same sort of thing. When I, when I first went up there for pre-season, we did pre-season. Me and Dave Batty got a bond, obviously, and we were... Off the pitch, we were very close. He was like a little brother to me. I'd always be around his mum and dad's house and all that, having dinner and used to bring the fish and chips around there and all that. So, uh, yeah, and I said to Bats, we played a training ground game against Doncaster or something. I said, let's rattle them up a little bit. And we were leaving bodies everywhere. (laughs) And I think Paul Hart, an ex-player, he was there managing. He was going mental. He was going nuts. And we were just leaving bodies like lead everywhere. Is it true that David Batty didn't like football? It's a hard, it's a hard question. I mean, it's quite easy to say he didn't like football, but it was it, that was Batty's way. You know, he he wanted to go out in the mornings. He didn't he didn't like training. To be fair, he didn't like a lot of training. He just wanted to smash balls at the goalkeeper. <laughs> you know, he used to smash balls. No warm up or nothing. How he never pulled muscles and that, I don't know. I don't know how he got on with his you know later on in his career. I don't know, but he didn't get on with Wilkinson that well anyway. They got rid of John Sheridan and, and Bats really looked up to John Sheridan. That was kind of Bats's real older brother. And uh, as good lad Shez was, they kind of put Shez on the sideline with Hazelwood and people like Vince Allaire a little bit as well. And it was a shame, you know, because you looked at it and you thought, you know, that could be me one day. And 12 months later, 18 months later, it was me, you know. But um, yeah. the writing was on the wall when we, we went to play a game and I, I got the number eight shirt and Mick Hinnigan, the assistant manager, went, no, 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 Ben, he said, uh, Bats is wearing four. I went, oh, yeah, right, oh, here we go. Good night, nurse. To say he didn't like football, I, I think when it was all... I remember we playing Newcastle, I took a throw and Speedy scored, was one nil up, and Bats was over the moon. I went, come on, we can beat him. He went, no, no. He said, it's only 20 minutes to me to we getting on it for my birthday. It was his birthday that day and he, wanted, <laughs> he was ready to get on the lash. Yeah, I've refereed uh, David Batty's kids, his two boys, and uh, David Batty used to sit at the end of our driveway when I was growing up in Tadcaster and just watch motorbikes go past all evening. He, he was 
obsessed with motorbikes and I got the impression there that that was something he was maybe more fond of sometimes than than the game. He'd rather watch that than a game of football on the telly, for example. Yeah, I don't think he watched much football. Mm. You know, it's like now, he doesn't do anything. He's just, he's got his little small holding up in North Yorkshire and he's there with the kids and the family and he's got a couple of sheep and all that. And he <laughs> he, he hates all the publicity, all of it. You know, I've I've said to him a few times, you know, come on, let's go and do this. Don't you know, nah, not my thing. He's completely off grid. You're absolutely right, Vinny. Uh, Nick Wiley has said, uh, loving the chat. Can you ask Vinny who his favourite uh, Blades, that Sheffield United uh, teammate was? Probably not oh. Dane Whitehouse. Ah, he was a good lad. Dane was a good lad, but I just wanted to smash him. Like He was quite a tough lad, actually, to be fair. Me best mate. Well, Bob Booker was there. Bob Booker came up from Brentford. Now, he was a Watford boy. I knew Bob for years. Bob was a, a pro at Brentford be, way before I was, and I remember seeing him in a pub, and it was like to see a professional footballer that close up. I remember he had uh, tracksuit bottoms on, uh, rolled up a little bit, and he had um, blue gazelle added us trainers on. I'll never forget it. Um, ah, Bob Bucar. Yeah, who are Bob Bucar. And then Harry Bassett was the manager. Frenchie is like a brother to me. He was the physio. Um, French, yeah. Yeah, Frenchie. But we had a good drinking school there as well. I mean, <laughs> you know, Wednesdays were quite lively at Sheffield. We'd have a few light hours there and and go around the town. But the, the trouble was, they signed me and Brian Marwood, and Brian Marwood hardly played a game. We think he came injured. I, I weren't happy about that, and I, we didn't really see too eye to eye because I told him that, you know, we were battling at the bottom, and then I think he came injured. But our season turned around when we signed Glyn Hodges. We got Glyn Hodges after a few games. If you look up in history, we had the lowest amount of points at Christmas, and we got out of it. It's something ridiculous. I think like 11 or 9 points... And we stayed up. We went on a roll of something like 26 or 27 games without without defeat, you know, and it was just unbelievable. I scored a, you know, when it's bad, we played really well at Norwich and I'd scored my only own goal in my career. And we'd done really well and it really just went against us. But we couldn't even go out in Sheffield because you had Sheffield Wednesday fans and you had Sheffield United fans that were like, what's going on? Asking you questions. So we used to have to go quite a way out to have even go for, you know, Saturday night dinner, you know. It was only politics and that, the reason... They sold me. I mean, they sold me to Chelsea. For me, it was good going home, but it was, you know, I was sort of told, I was pulled in by Bassett. Because what I what I did was, you know, you have signing on fees and you have loyalty bonuses in them days. I don't know what they do now, but you had a loyal, loyalty bonus at the end of the year and you had a sign, like a signing on fee. And what I did, I waived them. I said, I didn't want them, but I wanted it in my wages. So I think when they did the books at the end of the year and saw that I was earning this big amount of money... I was, but, you know, it wasn't broken up. They had to get me off the books, and I think that's why that forced that sale. Because, I, I mean, I, there was no inkling of me moving. I was captain. I loved it. You know, I played with Chris Wilder. Great lad. If Chris Wilder had more pace, he would have he would have played for England, I think. He was a good player. Technically, he could ping a ball. He could put a ball on a sixpence. Just slack that bit of pace. You know, to put him in the elite, you know, don't get mm. me wrong, he was a good player for Sheffield United, but just to get him into that elite bit, if he... If he was like as quick as John Scales or Terry Phelan or you know one of our other players at Wimbledon. He would he would have been it'd have gone it'd have been international no problem. Got another question that's just come through from Bob Gallagher. Uh, which player would wind you up during a game just to try and get you booked? Vinny, you're famous for trying to wind other people up, and many people will know about the famous Gaza grab. But this is going the other way. Someone that would try and get under your skin. 
not that I can think of. You know, you'd have a couple of boys that wouldn't, you know. I said earlier, someone asked me earlier about Roy Keane. He never had it with us. I never even knew he was on the pitch, Roy. If you had it with one of us, you had it with all of us. Teddy Sheridan, I suppose, with, with Roy would have had it. You know, we had a good old punch up down at Millwall when Teddy was down there when I was at first at Wimbledon. They're good memories. They're good, you know, you have a laugh. Yeah. Good punch ups. <laughs> Good punch-ups. And uh, Lauren has said, in 1988, when with Wimbledon, you beat the league champions Liverpool. You don't need me to remind you this, but of course it was in the FA Cup final. Uh, was that a case yeah. of showing how self-belief and determination can triumph in any circumstances? I think we got so much crap thrown at us that we shouldn't have been at Wembley. And it was disgusting that we were playing there. and We're going to get beat 7-0 on this and there was a fear that we'd be the biggest laughing stock. I mean, really, on paper. Any other day, that would have been six or seven nil, you know? When you've got a caged animal up in a tight spot, you watch out because you're going to get bit. One way or another, you're going to get bit. And they got mm. bit that day badly. They got it badly that day. And they we took a big chunk out of them. I mean, when we went out in the tunnel, we were up for it. So up for it. Ridiculous. And we looked at some of them. And you honestly got the feeling, we're in a cup final. It's the biggest thing in our lives. If you can't run for 90 minutes and give everything, what can you do? Art on your sleeve. I mean, Monday mornings, we used to do 10-mile runs around the Richmond Park. We knew we could run. Do you have a highlight, then, of your playing career? Because I'm imagining that one is is possibly it. That was fantastic. Winning the league with Leeds, because that was all season down in Bournemouth, more games involved and all that, and you get close, and then Sheffield United just still there, and Newcastle were there, and, you know, and then you break away, and then you lose one, you draw one, because our away record wasn't very good. The trouble was... We took thousands of fans with us. So every ground we went to, we felt it was full up. So I think the home players got a buzz off that. Yeah, absolutely. A few people have asked, and I'll pick Joe's one asking about, did, is it true you've got a, a tattoo of, uh, from Leeds United's title win on your, on your ankle? Yeah, one ankle, I've got the Leeds 89-90 season. And on the other side, I've got the FA Cup 87-88. So is it full chest, the, uh, the Sheffield United logo? No, there is the Welsh Dragon. Yeah, and I know you were very proud to, to represent Wales. And, and when you think back to, to so much with your football career, I suppose it must be nice that we'll, we'll get on to the other side of your life, that when you are perhaps in America, you can walk down the street and no one is going to ask you the kind of questions I've just been asking you about your football career. I imagine that's a, a whole ocean away where people just know you for your second life, which has been the movies. So how was it that you go from football into the movie business? I went into the movie business when I was still playing at Wimbledon, but I never told no one. I did a, I only done two or three nights. I didn't say nothing, and I went and done Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. Guy Ritchie and Matthew Vaughan had come to me and said, we're doing this movie, Do, you know, we've got a little cameo role for you. One smashing the, some bloke's head in the sunbed. <laughs> yeah, I can do that. <laughs> That's no problem. And then the other one was going with P.H. Moriarty, who was, you know, raised in the Long Good Friday, and just go this, that, and the other, and said, yeah, I can do that. And then what happened was, that was it. I'd done me two or three days and I never said nothing. And then Guy Ritchie rang me a few months later. We've had to change the edit, come in and do a week's work. So that's when the whole role was reversed. I mean, if he hadn't have done that, wouldn't be having this conversation probably. But that then made me a major part of the movie. When it came out, I'd gone to QPR as assistant manager. Yeah, we all went to the premiere and all that. And the boys were like, this is fantastic. And it just went nuts. And then I won Best British Newcomer. And then it wasn't really working out at QPR. And Ray Hartford resigned or got the sack. 
they didn't offer me the job, which they should have. I was assistant manager, go, you know, waiting to be manager. They were going to give it to Jerry Francis and Jerry phoned me, which was one of the most on honourable things or the only honourable thing that came out of the whole bloody issue, really. Because they said to me, um, they kind of blamed it on the movie. They said, oh, this movie's come out and you ain't got your head on it. You need to get someone else. But I was just getting sta stabbed in the back by one or two players at QPR at the time. So I never got the job. But if I'd have got the job, I wouldn't have gone to America. Because what happened was I said to him, OK, I'll do a deal with you. You pay me half of the contract that you owe me. And I'm a free agent. So they said, yeah, OK. I said, and you can pay. I said, we ain't got no money. Chris Wright said, we ain't got no money. I said, well, you can pay me monthly. You was going to have to do that. Just do it till the end of the season. And that's when the Gone in 60 Seconds came up and I got a phone call and I flew to America and they offered the role to me there and then. So literally the ink hadn't dried at QPR. And, uh, and then I came back for a couple of months and then it all went nuts. We all went out to America and rented a house and stayed there, done Gone in 60 Seconds. Guy Ritchie called me and said, we're doing a movie. I've got Brad Pitt in it. Me, you, you Brad Pitt, Benicio Del Toro, bringing all these people. And I was like, boom, all right, <laughs> here we go. So after Gone in 60 Seconds, I came back, did Snatch, and then, and then Snatch, I won Best British Actor. When I went for the meeting with Jerry Bruckheimer, mm. I flew to America, had the meeting, and flew back on the same plane. Wow, I love it. Evie has just said, because you mentioned some big names there, who have you been genuinely starstruck by since finishing your football career? John Travolta. And I became good friends with him. When he came on set for the first time in Swordfish, I was stood next to Hugh Jackman, who was a you know, relatively newcomer then. He was crapping himself. The director was crapping himself. And we all waited, waited. And then in he came with a big entourage to do the first scene of the day. And the director ran over to him, like, kissing his ass, And he stopped him. He went, no, no. And he came over to me, Halle Berry and... Hugh Jackman, and he said, Vinnie, Halley, and Hugh, he said, I'd like to thank you for doing this movie with me. I hope we have a great time. There wasn't enough ice in America to put around my arsehole. <laughs> completely dropped out. What a lovely turn of phrase. Uh, yeah. We've got a question here from uh, Lox Martin who said, uh, what's your favourite movie project that you've worked on, Vinnie? Snatch was good fun. You know, Lockstock, I didn't really know much about it, but Snatch was good fun because we came back from America with all the big hitters, Angelina Jolie and Nicolas Cage, and then became good mates with Brad Pitt. I took the wolf from so dogs one night. You know, <laughs> he used to ring me up, he used to get bored at the hotel. What are you doing? Oh, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And then we'd done a bit of fly fishing and that. And then I was going to Walkmanstow one night and uh, told his driver how to get there. And he came in round the back and sat upstairs next to me daughter with a steak and chips and picking out a few winners. I love that. Uh, one film I enjoyed was uh, Mean Machines because you managed to get former teammates in the film. Yeah, well, we left the football to Wally Downs. Wally Downs was, uh, you know, one of the original Crazy Gang members. And so we called Wally in to, to do all the training. But they did they did about six weeks, I think over at Acne Marshes, they'd done about six weeks and he, we vetted it all and got the decent players. And then we got a couple of lads from, we got Perry Digweed, who was, you know, he was a good pro. He was at Chelsea and that, Diggers. Um, and we got a few of the Brentford boys. Yeah, we wanted the football to be as real as we could. And when we... Some of the balls that were pinged in and whatever, they, that was all real. We didn't want to, like, cut and cut and cut. Mm. We were, so we had, we had some professionals in there that, were, that came in, a couple of the Brentford boys. Because it's actually, it's really hard to act like you're playing football. We've seen it in many films before and it just never looks real. And in that film, it did work. Yeah, well, we got a load of cameras around it. 
See, the lad, you've got to bear in mind, there's a lot of testosterone running around, mm. and there's, a, you know, there's 24 lads, and all they wanted to do was to play football. So it was great. It was kind of, all right, then let's go. And we were kind of playing football. You know, we'd want to set up a couple of things, but a lot of it, I mean, there was one where one of the lads, it came to him, and he smashed it, and it hit the bar. It's actually in the movie, and that is just, oh, please tell me you've got that on camera. I said, yeah, <laughs> we have. So that's what we did. We, we just played with a load of cameras, you know what I mean? And we got... We got a couple of the lads, you know, a couple of the pros to hit some good long balls and stuff like that. And then Danny Dyer was there running around and Omid and myself and a good fun. Yeah, half the fun, I think, for football fans as well was trying to spot the pros and, and recognise them. Which I yeah, there weren't many well, there wasn't many well-known ones, to be honest. There was plenty from Sheffield United that I spotted there as well as... Uh, yeah, a few Sheffield United boys, Charlie, yeah. Charlie Artfield and that. Charlie's a great lad. Funny enough, on... I think an Instagram or something. I spoke to his son recently. But no, we had a good crack. And of course, the boys were all down. And they, I came, I came in one day to work and my trailer was absolutely smashed to bits. <laughs> they had all been out on the lash. They'd stayed down. All the Sheffield boys had stayed down. They'd all gone on the lash with Wally. They had nowhere to stay. So they all broke back into where we were filming. They all stayed, about seven of them stayed in my trailer. It was, a, <laughs> it was an absolute mess. You knew what you were getting yourself into, I think, when you invited them. Uh, what, when we talk about Hollywood, Vinny, how has life treated you when you're living out there? It's very different, I'm sure, from what you knew growing up. Well, you know, it can be a very lonely place. When you first go out there, you know, like this time of year now, I'm going on Monday, uh, Tuesday, and it, they call it pilot season, so they're making all these little pilots for these for TV shows and stuff, and, you, you know, you go out there, and it's called the cattle market. You know, you get in the cattle line, and you go up, and you do your audition, and away you go. Yeah, it can be very lonely, you know. When you got the family with you, it's easier. Mm. You know, they all came out with us. Me and Stephen were there for quite a while. I came back and then Jay bought a house in West Hollywood and I went back and stayed with him. Like, the days are quite... You know, the not, evenings are great because you're out. It's great, you know, go and club in and whatever and then get your work done. But you might have, you might have one audition that day. And you're like, you know, you can see why all these people, Starbucks and Coffee Bean and all that, are packed out with people in the day because you're just bored out your head. Got any famous neighbours where you're living? The most famous one was I was my first house. I lived next to Quentin Tarantino up on Mulholland Drive, but I've moved from there now. Um, Andy Garcia is my neighbour. He's a good lad. I play golf with him. Justin Timberlake. Uh, Bieber was Justin Bieber. He was renting a gaff just round the corner. I'm at a golf club called Lakeside, which is a private club, but they, they kind of built it because a lot of the... It's right across from Warner Brothers in Burbank uh, Studios. So they were looked down their nose a little bit years and years ago, you know, at actors and stuff like that. So Bing Crosby and Laurel Nardi and that, and they all acquired this bit of land across from the studios and turned it into this golf club, which is Lakeside Golf Club, which is very prestigious now, one of the best in LA, but... Yeah, Stallone's a member there. Joe Pesci I play with quite a bit. I see Joe every day. Joe's there in the in the summer and then he goes home for the New York summer and then he comes back. When it gets cold in New York, he comes back to LA. That's some life. Wow, we've got to take a moment to thank Tickets for Troops, working in partnership here with BFBS. I must let you in on a little secret, Vinny, that uh, last one of these we did was with Chris Kamara and one of the anecdotes he told was telling us that you lived previously next door to Quentin Tarantino and... I was thinking that if there's ever a neighbour for you to say, hey, new film coming up, you need someone who can play, you know, the kind of roles that you've played in the past, Tarantino surely would be that person to approach who would have a role for you. I've done a movie for Tarantino. 
I did one. It's called Hell Ride, and uh, we did this. It was it was only, it was a low budget movie. It was the exec producer on it, and I knew the director Larry Bishop, old school, proper Hollywood, old school bloke. And he said, he said, I want you to do this movie. And it was me. And it was Michael Madsen, and it was Dennis Hopper because it was all about motorbikes and hell rides, hell's angels and all that. I've got a fantastic picture at home. I'm in the sidecar and Dennis Hopper's driving it. You could have made David Batty very jealous with that picture. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Tarantino was auditioning after that for Inglorious Bastards, and there was a role there for me. So we were up in the Santa Ana Mountains doing this scene for Hell Ride, and Quinton was there and blah, blah, blah. And they said, well, you know, we've got, we got to find a stuntman because we've got to set fire to you tomorrow, Vinny, this, that and the other. Thinking, ah, oh, no problem. I said, what's involved? I said, well, we'll put the glycerine on them with this and the suit and the, 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 the. I went, well, I'll do that. I said, don't worry about that. But I, what I was really doing was kissing ass to get a <laughs> part in Inglorious Bastards. So Quinton's like, are you sure, Vinny? Where are you? And I said, yeah, don't worry about it. So I was just giving it the old tough upper lip. Anyway. Comes to the next day, I, they haven't got the stuntman and all that. I've got to do it. They're worried about the wind because, you know, if it comes up, burns on my face and all that. Well, he fires the arrow at me and it hits the motorbike. I go off, I've got the motorbike under me and it sets light. And I'm actually there and he comes up, Dennis Oppo, and, and I talk to him. So I had to be, literally had to be on fire. Worst thing was, Quinton never came the next day. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> so, so I put my head in the noose and I never got the part in Inglourious Bastards. Oh, man, well, that's a great and, story. And the funny part was the wind had changed and the, so the flames were up there. And what you do, you, you count, they've got all the people around you ready to run in and, you know, the fire squad and all that. And you put your arm up when, they want, when you want them in. It's so hot, you can only last for, you know, six or seven seconds. So he said, you know, if you could get to 10... Anyway, I'm so I'm determined. I'm going to get to ten. Mm. So one, one, two, three. And right, okay. Whoo, now you count yourself down. You're like like this, and you're acting. You're counting. I get to ten. Boom! They come rushing in. Wallop. I went. You know, like I'm like relieved and everything else. I think that must have got me the job. Larry said uh, the director. He said it was fantastic. It was awesome. Oh my god! No one else would have done this, but the wind was in the wrong direction. Oh. We'll have to do it again. So I've done it twice. The only part I got hurt with was not getting the part, so. Yeah, Hell Ride, everyone. I haven't seen that one, Vinny, I do apologise. It's I a good little, uh, it's a pretty cool little movie. So we've talked about some of the best managers you've ever worked under. What about your favourite director on a movie set? All different ones. I mean, Brett Ratner was a bit of a lunatic on um, <laughs> on X-Men, you know, but good fun. Dominic Senna was great. I got on great with Dominic Senna. He was Swordfish and uh, he also did Gone in 60 Seconds. Worked with some very famous people, which I can't even remember now, like TV guys. There's one guy called Nutter, Mr. Nutter. He's done, he's done something like 28 or 29 pilots. So it's like 28 or 29 years of pilots, and every single one has been picked up to series. Wow. Like, yeah, he's a Hollywood legend. I worked with him, and we got picked up. That's brilliant. Well, you would do with his track record by the yeah, sounds of it. Yeah. With telly as well, you know, you also do uh, adverts. You're currently in an ad for, uh, I'll just say, a men's grooming and fragrance product, which your mate Gaza did. And uh, you did a profile of Tyson Fury on Sports Personality of the Year. Both of these must have been tremendous fun over the past few months. 
you know, when I'd done the tribute to Tyson for uh, Sports Personality of the Year, I knew that he didn't, he weren't going to be there and didn't want anything to do with it. So it was a little case of, does he want me to do this or not? Anyway, they were like, you know, it's the people's choice. I don't think it should have been once he withdrew like that. Mm. Why would they have wanted to embarrass themselves? I don't know. He, you know, I'm not really sure why he would have wanted to do that because, you know, I was at that fight. I was there. I was ringside at that first fight at the Staples Centre and I was at the second one. It's the most exciting. And bear in mind, I was at the Tyson fight where he bit Holyfield's ear off. I was at that fight ringside. I've been to a lot of big fights. Lennox Lewis, loads of times with Lennox. Um, Steve Collins, one of my very best friends, Steve Collins, the Celtic warrior, went everywhere with Steve. Lennox, uh, Nigel Benn, a lot of fights. And that was that was one of the most exciting fights I'd been to. He was a true warrior and he got up and it was so fantastic to be British there. And there weren't many of us and we were going nuts. It wasn't like, you know, everybody jumped on the bandwagon then for Vegas and everybody was there. They weren't all there at the Staples Centre, mate. I was. One thing I'm getting from you, Vinny, is you're often in the right place at the right time. If you keep knocking on the door, someone's going to open it, aren't they? Yeah, very good words. And that's in life as well. And that's for, all you know, all the lads that are listening you know, whatever path you lead after you come out or you stay in, you know, just do it to your best ability. Don't do it and just waffle through life. I always thought when I was playing, there's some footballers. When you talk about the great Arsenal teams, let's say, something like that, a mate of mine, Nigel Winterburn, played left back hundreds and hundreds of games, but no one ever remembers him. Don't be that guy. I wouldn't be, I'd make something of your life. You know, be noticed. If you're watching, Nigel. Sorry. The thoughts of uh, Jamel Robertson has said, have you met anyone post your football career that you crunched really badly in a tackle and have they come up to you and called you on it? Oh, yeah, a few times, yeah. I tackled Gary Stevens and broke both his legs. I went up to the hospital the next morning to sort of apologise or whatever and I and he, he didn't want to see me. He wouldn't let, he wouldn't let him open the door. He wouldn't let me go up and see him. So I, I was leaving there was a, news agents there. So I went and just bought sports magazines and that and took them back. I said, give him these and all that. And one of them happened to be a boxing magazine. I didn't know. And then uh, picked the paper up. I was a sick individual sending him, broke his both legs and sending him boxing magazines. That was never my intention, but yeah, I got called out on it a few times. But that's good of you. A lot of times you hear of, you know, in football, accidents happen. You, it's a physical contact sport. There's going to be injuries. But you do hear of players that have injured another player that never write them a letter, that certainly never visit them. So uh, I'm very surprised there was any backlash. That was an accident as well. That, I mean, that was an accident. He had bad knees anyway. You know, that weren't an out-and-out over-the-top like Roy Keane done to Alfie Harland or something yeah, like that. Yeah. And that was, you know, that, that was a nothing tackle, really. I think it was the weight of John Fashion on him. And then me going in, but yeah, I mean, it was a nothing. That was at White Hart Lane and there was about 3,000 supporters around the coach wanted to lynch me. I had to go out the back door, got in one of the bloke's cars, one of the staff's cars in the back with a blanket over me and they drove me out of White Hart Lane. Wow. Well, actually, that might lead quite nicely into our next question from Richard, who says, uh, Vinny, which away ground did you most hate visiting? Like, you go to Newcastle and they were screaming and foaming at you, but I loved it. I used to hate the big pitches when the fans were miles away from you, like Man City. It was like, it seemed like miles away, you know, you sort of seemed like, you know, you're at the Olympics in the middle, you know what I mean? 
one of my favourite stadiums was Arsenal because it was a small pitch like mm. ours and, and it was right on you. West Ham I loved. West Ham was right on you. But, God, did you get some gob on you when you took a throw in? Oh, I was playing for Leeds. I scored the winner, actually, 1-0. And I went back and I was playing for Wimbledon. And oh. I'd just been called up into the Welsh squad. And when you go over, there was a thing there called the chicken run where, you know, you'd go over and you'd just get coins thrown at you. And I'm talking literally a few yards away, not... 30 yards away, and they're right there. So when you get the ball, you sort of, you get the ball, you run down and throw it and keep running. Otherwise you're gonna get covered in spit and gob and coins thrown at you and everything else. I went over to get the ball. I didn't want to really make any, cause they're right there. They're three foot from you on the holdings and they're screaming and foaming at the mouth at you. So I was trying to, I was like that. And out the corner of the eye, I see the ball be, you know, thrown back. And I've gone like that, and I've been I've just been called up with a Welsh squad, and I never looked at it properly. And as I've gone like that, I've caught it, and it was a blow-up sheep. <laughs> they threw a blow-up sheep at me. I mean, they're both white. I understand. Yeah, I followed it back out a bit, and then the crowd loved it because then I played up to it and had a laugh. Yeah, yeah. So they loved that. You know, I mean, a lot of the I went in goal at Newcastle, which was good fun, and I just played up with the crowd. They loved it. But Vinny, this is why I ask these sorts of questions because, of course, you've experienced that. You've just explained, like, literally gob on the back of your neck to the life that you've led after football when you're in a trailer and you can ask for a, a flat white to be brought straight to you. It's two completely different worlds and not many people get to experience both of them in the same lifetime. No, I'm blessed. You pinch yourself, you must do. Yeah, and, you know, my a lot of the times your, your youngest memories are your most vivid re- mm. memories. You know, you get to know your surroundings and what kind of person you are and that. And I've never changed from that much. You know, I still know I'm from a little village near Abbots Langley in Watford, Hertfordshire, you know, and I've still got the same mates. And, yeah, I've made other friends and, you know, I've got some great mates and all that. But I think the true soul, true family are the lads you grew up with, you know, and I've lost a couple as well. You know, I've lost a couple of very best friends from my childhood that were very close to me. And I've and I've tried to take them on the journey with me as much as I can. That's the important thing as well. When we did Snatch, three or four of my best mates, I'm leading up to it. And Tans, my wife said to me, she said, is everything like superb? And this, that, and something was, something was niggling me. And I knew what it was. I didn't have my boys with me. So I phoned my secretary in England. I said... Go and buy the boys a ticket, plane ticket, and tell them to get out tonight. There was, uh, used to be like a 9.50 flight. She took it round their houses, knocked on the door, said, you're going to, um, you're going to LA, Vin's bought your ticket. And they came out, stayed at the Four Seasons Hotel, and then came to the premiere the next night, and then all went back. I always remember, I looked over, and the three of them were surrounded. Madonna was in the middle. We'd gone back to his place, and it was just so surreal, and they were all, chatting with her and having a laugh because they'd had a couple of light hours by this time and they looked totally at home, you know what I mean? The big question has to be then, can I be your friend? No, you're a referee. <laughs> That's true, Ad. Tilly has said, uh, if you were going back to that time that you're talking about in your youth and you had decided to join the armed forces, did you ever think exactly which service you'd wanted to have joined the most? No, I didn't give it much thought. Just we went down the careers office down in Watford and tried to sign up and then... You know, it was all going all right. He'd got a minor offence and they went, nah, it was kind of one out, all out. But I wouldn't have gone in without him and he wouldn't have gone in without me. So what we did then was we went and got an old door from his dad's garage, C and V car wash. And we done, we bought six buckets. We put them down on the, uh, on a big roundabout in Watford and we had a car wash for the summer. One of the best summers of my life. I was only probably 17, 18, something like that. 
incredible. I mean, that that will be that, those kind of memories. They stay with you, and I've still got the buckets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more than all the awards, Joey Clough, uh, Vinny. Are you going to get your gun out of the cabinet and come and do some shooting with the Army Clay target team? You'd be welcome any time. I'm just looking at my guns there. I'm not really a clay man, to be honest. I don't do a lot of clays, although I'm going to, in the summer, um, down there in Sussex, I'm going to build a little sporting layout. Maybe I'll do a day for, the, for your charity. Oh, wow. Raise some more money for, for, your, for the charity, for the armed forces. That's fantastic. Thank you, Vinny. And I think one of the questions that's come through a few times, and, I, and I've always wanted to ask this one because it's a bit cheeky, uh, who do you think the most famous person is in your phone? Hmm. Um, Timberlake, Timberlake would, would, would definitely be one of them. Let's have a look here. Now, you got me now, actually. Yeah, it's a good one, that. Who have we got here? I've got the Jays here. Joe Pesci, Steve. Oh, that's from Arrow. Steve Amell. There's a few in here, mate. Yeah. Well, what, well, Chris says, I mean, I mean, this is bound to be a name you got in the phone. What was it like working with Stallone on Escape Plan? Great. Yeah, it was really good. He brought the golf clubs and he joined, a, he joined a golf club there called the English Turn Golf Club in New Orleans. And he made us all members while we were there for the movie. It was brilliant. Is there ever a football club that you wish you'd played for that you never got the chance to? Watford. Mm. I was there as a schoolboy, but I didn't. I played against them, but I didn't play in, in the senior team. And it was weird, really. I don't know what happened because at that time, when I done my deal with QPR, Watford were in the crapper. And I phoned my old coach who was still there, Tom Wally, old boy called Tom Wally. And I said, tell Graham, because Graham Taylor tried to, when I signed for Leeds, he, he wanted to sign me at Aston Villa. So I said, look, I've just done a deal with QPR. I'm a free agent. I think I was only 33 or something. And I was still fit. And I said, tell Graham, I'm here till the end of the season, because I never went to Hollywood until the June, I think it was. So I said, if he wants me for the last few months of the season, no wages, no wages, no nothing, I'll sign for you. And then that would have, that would have been a bit of a dream come true for me, because I, you know, my whole family were Watford supporters, you know, from the fourth division, seen them come right up, my granddad, my uncles and dad and everybody in our family are, are true Watford supporters because you know there's one thing liking a club there's nothing supporting the club when you support the club it means you go and watch them and you mm. you know when Taylor first took over in the 70s we used to go everywhere they played at Upton Park Nottingham Forest Man United when Luther Blissett scored two Watford beat Joe Jordan scored for Man United Luther Blissett scored two for Watford and Watford were in the fourth or third division it was League Cup it was there were some great nights you know so, so support wise you know Watford through and through yeah that's my yeah. team but I grew up as a Tottenham supporter. Oh, I wasn't expecting that gear change. Yeah, I grew up as a Tottenham supporter. I still like Tottenham, but that was more to do with Glen Oddo and that. But you know, they had you know they had some great players. You know, some great players. I remember watching Watford played Stoke in some football league tie up there and went up there and and I remember watching Garth Crooks and thinking what an amazing player he was. And then that next season, Tottenham signed him. Yeah, I used to follow Tottenham everywhere. Well, at home, only at home. We used to go after school. Well, I hopefully to... the Tottenham fans will, will change the way they uh, remember you after some of the <laughs> stories you've shared with us. Well, Glenn Oddle was was my hero. I mean, mm-hmm. to this day, you know, Glenn Oddle was, to me, one of the best players I've, I've ever seen, you know. When he was on form and pinging that ball about them long ball free kicks. And I'll never forget when Ozzy Ardiles, there was a free kick, Ozzy Ardiles flicked it up and Hoddle hit it on the volley, both feet off the ground and it 
dipped in top corner. Probably one of the best goals I've ever seen in my life still. That's saying something. And uh, I think it's a good one to close on. Uh, Nicola Donnelly, what's your next acting venture that we can look forward to? So what's the next film, Vinny? Rise of the Foot Soldier. Good fun. We did it in England. And then we're hoping to do the remake of The Long Good Friday, the Bob Hoskins movie. Yes. Um, hoping to do that. But I, I shall go back to LA on Tuesday, go and have some meetings and see what's happening. Play some golf and then I have a place near Palm Springs, so I shall go down there. It's about 80 degrees at the moment, I think. So that, I'm looking forward Ooh. to that. Lovely. Well, if you're ever in any of these executive meetings in Hollywood and they're saying, look, Vinny, we need an Englishman who looks a bit like Bruno Fernandes, you now know who to call. Or uh, if we need a fluffer in a porno. It's quite an image to leave us with. I have been so overjoyed here on BFBS, partnering with Tickets for Troops to speak with you, Vinny. Thank you for giving up your time. All the best with everything that you're doing in the future. I'm looking forward to your next acting project. Vinny Jones, thank you. Uh, thanks and good. And, th and thank you for everything the troops do. It's an honour to, uh, to help out. It's been emotional. Once upon a time, on the pitch. On the pitch.